How do you approach someone that seems angry enough that now all they want is revenge? How do you approach someone when they're angry because of injustice, especially if that injustice has happened to them? And how do you approach somebody who's just hurt or frustrated by the circumstances of life because they don't agree with them, but they don't control them either? And how do you listen when someone approaches you because you are the person who is hurt or frustrated? See, this is why I love 1 Samuel 25. Because in this chapter, we see a woman named Abigail who gives us an incredibly practical and subtly Christ-like way to respond in these situations. So this is really like part two of what Ryan unpacked for us last week. That was kind of the prologue. And today we come to the climax where we see that David is the one who is angry because somebody has done injustice to him. You see, David and his men protected the sheep and the men of a guy named Nabal. Now, because of this, essentially, David comes to Nabal, sends his men with a message and says, hey, we've done all of this good for you. As sort of a thank you, could you feed us? We're hungry, we're tired, we would love some food. Now, not only does Nabal refuse to feed them, but he also goes out of his way to mock and insult them. And so now David is ready to fly off the handle and he swears that by morning light, not a single man of Nabal or his people will be alive. He's going to kill all of them by morning. And so in steps Abigail, a woman who's described as beautiful and incredibly wise, actually the wife of Nabal. And she gathers a huge gift, sheep, fig cakes, drinks, food, to bring them to David to approach David and see if she can help repair this situation. So that's where we're picking up in 1 Samuel 25, verse 23. It says, now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, right, with this whole gift following her, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. And then I think verse 24 is actually our key verse. And so I don't want us to miss this. It says, so she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. You notice before anything else, before she explains anything else, talks about anything else, the first thing she's asking David is just to listen. Honestly, I think that this is one of the places that we struggle the most in our culture. We are just not good listeners. Most of the time when things get tense, we're thinking about how we need to justify ourselves, explain ourselves, make my case, instead of being able to listen to one another. And so she approaches him with respect. She asks him to listen. And this phrase, speak in your ears, that's really a Hebrew idiom that means something almost like a whisper, that the way Abigail is going to speak is gentle. It's not shouting to the troops. It's not calling out to a crowd. It's not a YouTube video with 6 million views. It's just Abigail to David, relationally focused, personal conversation. In fact, the last time that we saw this idiom was back in 1 Samuel chapter 10, when God spoke in Samuel's ear the day before what he wanted him to know. So in a very real way, Abigail is speaking like God here. And look at what she says. 
Please let not my lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. You look how she's calling David my lord. She's showing him respect, even though he doesn't necessarily deserve it in this moment. And look at how she talks about Nabal. I don't know if it was Nabal's parents or a nickname he picked up along the way, but somewhere along his lifeline, like he is named Nabal, the Hebrew of which literally means foolish. And now remember, this is his wife, but even she is owning, my husband is acting like a fool. I know it. And so she encourages David, let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. The first way that she approaches this situation, she asks David, disregard foolishness. Now, now that's hard for us, but think about what she means. She's not saying that it isn't foolish. She's not saying that it doesn't matter. She's not saying that it's no big deal. I mean, we've already seen she's bringing a ton of stuff with her to try to honor David and actually feed the men. She thinks there's a wrong to be righted here. But what she means is when she says, let not my Lord regard this, is that if David regards this, if he takes this in, if he spends all of his emotional energy thinking about this foolishness and how unfair it is, the foolishness ends up controlling David. The foolishness ends up making him react emotionally and then he's, in some ways, no better than Nabal. So she's saying, don't let it control you. Disregard the foolishness. You know, it actually sounds a lot like Proverbs 29, 11. This, this is one of my favorites, um, which probably is an admission that I need this one a lot. <laughs> but Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. See, that's what she's trying to protect David from here. It's not that the feelings aren't real, but I mean, you probably know what that moment feels like, right? When you vent all your feelings when you really lay into somebody, you really fly off the handle. And even if what they did was wrong, a lot of times on the back end of it, we feel embarrassed. We feel like I didn't handle that the right way. I didn't handle it the way I wanted to handle it. So she's encouraging him, don't end up a fool like Nabal by fully venting your own feelings. There's an opportunity for a different kind of response here. And she goes on in the next two verses to say that, that now therefore my Lord as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. Like, let them be the foolish ones. Don't, don't make this your problem, David. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. So you notice how she is trying to bring David back from the brink of an emotional explosion, telling him, let Nabal be a fool, let the men around him be fools. You don't have to be foolish. Now, part of the reason that this is so hard for David is because he's being triggered. It tells us that in this passage, they are outside a city called Carmel, which is right in the center of this picture here. Now, David has a lot of things that can trigger him. Some of them are the same for all of us, right? You're tired, you're hungry, you're overworked. Then especially if somebody really does something to you, David is like beyond ready to explode, right? In fact, if you think about the times that you get angry, 
There may be a thousand different circumstances that can cause that, but usually there are kind of three or four underlying issues about respect, pride, or even just simple physical things like fatigue and hunger. David's feeling all of them in a place called Carmel. That was mentioned at the beginning of the chapter. It'll be mentioned again at the end. And in this place, Nabal has plenty of sheep. He has plenty of places for rest. It's the shearing season. The wealth is coming in. It's a feast day. He has abundance and he's refusing it to David in a city that if you actually go back to 1 Samuel 15, David has history with this city as well. In 1 Samuel 15, we see Saul reject God. He disobeys God, and when Samuel points it out to him, he essentially throws it back in Samuel's face. It's it's one of those brutal moments where Saul refuses to repent. And it happens in Carmel. And after that, Saul sets up what's called a victory stell, like a big rock that says, here the wonderful King Saul won his glorious victory. So if you remember chapter 24, David just pardoned Saul. Like, I did the right thing, God. I didn't kill Saul when I had the chance. Now things are even worse. I'm doing the right thing. Nabal won't help me out. And from where I'm standing, I can see that stupid rock that everything's going great for Saul and everything's falling apart for me. Yeah, David's angry. The circumstances around him are collapsing on him in an emotional way. And watch the wisdom of Abigail as she speaks to this. She says in verse 28, please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. Notice it's, it's not actually her trespass. She's stepping in on behalf of someone else, owning their trespass for them to seek forgiveness. I told you this was subtly Christ-like. She says, forgive the trespass of your maidservant for the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. I want you to notice one of the things that is happening here For the entire first half of the chapter, everything Ryan covered last week, the name of the Lord was never spoken. God is not mentioned in this chapter until Abigail shows up. And then she mentions the Lord seven times in her speech. Sometimes, maybe every time, whether the injustice is real or whether it's in our head, the moment we get angry, is the moment we need God to intervene. We need someone to step in and say, let's, let's just listen to the Lord just for a minute. Let's not lose track, of, lose track of this until God gets to speak into it. And because of that, she even identifies one of his triggers. We just showed how being in this city right after what happened in chapter 24 would uniquely remind David of Saul and the pain that's going on there. Well, she addresses that. I know a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. I know what's going on, David. I know what the circumstances are. I know how painful it is. I also know that the Lord is going to give you an enduring house. Even that is a foretelling of the Messiah who would be coming from David's line. 
as limited as their understanding of it was at that moment, she knew that was a promise to David from God. And so she asks David, forgive the trespass. Again, no excuse, not trying to wish it away. She owns that it's there, asks him to forgive it. Now, I don't know about you, that's really hard for me. Forgiving the trespass, especially when the person who did it does not seem to be sorry. I, I, I know a few months ago, I had one of these moments, and I'll, I'll spare you the details, but another guy did something to me that was like, I, I couldn't believe that he did that. He knows that it's wrong, and he did not seem to care. And, and I was furious. Like, I, I've never put on a sword and gone out after somebody. But man, that's how it felt inside. And I remember in that moment, um, my wife was there. I was sitting at the dining room table, just like festering, you know, like every muscle in my face was tense, just angry and not knowing what to do with it. And and she talked to me to try to kind of calm me down, to try to remind me, like, I I know this, I've learned this. In that moment, like Abigail brought the Lord into it, I, I need to go pray. And she tried to offer that to me and like, I, I could not hear it. And, and I remember in the moment, like making excuses for why I wasn't praying right now. And I remember at one moment, not even being able to speak, just giving a cold stare back to my wife because I was so angry about what this person had done. And, and the, you know, more mistakes. I, I went to bed that way. Woke up the next morning And I was actually uh, listening to Joe Foch, a Bible teacher out of Philadelphia that I enjoy, on this passage, (laughs) on 1 Samuel 25, um, not realizing what I was getting myself into. And then I hear him explain Abigail, the way that she spoke calmly, that she tried to speak God's wisdom to David and to ask him to forgive. And I realized that is what my wife, Melissa, was trying to do. And I wouldn't listen. So I went back upstairs. I apologized. I started really praying through this thing because I think this is actually one of the strongest examples in the Bible that you can forgive a person even though they're not sorry so that it doesn't control you, so that it doesn't hurt you and continue to make you fester. Because what Nabal did to David was wrong. In fact, they had a hospitality law, you know, extra credit if you want to on your own time. You go back and read Leviticus 19. One of the things there, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. But it also says, when there's a stranger in your land, treat them like family. Love the stranger as yourself. And the the Jewish people took that very seriously. So that even if David hadn't helped him out, it's like, Nabal owes David dinner. He owes to take care of him because that's what God has asked of them. But remember, nobody's talking about God in the first half of the chapter. It was a real injustice. And yet there's an opportunity for David, even in that moment, to forgive that trespass. Now, one of the ways that Abigail helps him to do that shows up in these next couple of verses. Because after pointing out that she understands some of those triggers, She says, and the lives of your enemies, he being God, the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. Now, when you think about David, David's enemies and a sling, what do you think of? 
you think of Goliath, right? Like she is reminding him of God's faithfulness in the past that literally God has slung out David enemies, David's enemies before. She's reminding him what Ryan showed us last week, that vengeance is the Lord's and in the right moment, God will deal with this injustice. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offensive heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Notice here the warning that she's giving him. This is another piece that I think is too often missing for us. Friends, we have got to be brave enough to warn one another. When you see trouble coming, when you see behavior in me, in someone you care about that doesn't line up with what God wants and you know the consequences that can come from it, to respectfully, to gently, gently offer this kind of warning. She says, you don't want this on your conscience. You don't want this grief that you'll wake up tomorrow and think, oh no, what have I done? You can avoid that. And the way she did that was by pointing to God's faithfulness in the past. David, we first even heard about you because of what God did with Goliath. But she also pointed to the promises that God has made about David's future that the Lord will do all the good that he has declared concerning David, even as she mentioned the enduring house that God would give her him. You see, what she's telling him is, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. And Christ follower, this is for you. To remember God's faithfulness in the past and the promises that he has made for your future. You know, that there are times, I, I know I'm feeling this, I look at the world around us right now, I look at how many things are going sideways and that just when it feels like maybe we're starting to make some progress, something goes sideways again and I can feel hopeless. But I know that I have hope. And we know that God, through Jesus Christ, has promised that if you trust him as your forgiver, he has secured your soul for eternity that God will deal with injustice in his timing, with his goodness, with his wisdom, and that Christ is going to return in glory and set all things right. And how do we know that? We know that because it's in here. The faithfulness of God in the past, his promises for the future are all here. That is why for centuries, people have been painstakingly careful to preserve word by word, letter by letter, line by line, so that when I pick up this book, or if you're scrolling through the Bible on an app, you know that you can be confident in the faithfulness of God in the past, the promises of God for the future. In fact, I had an opportunity a few months ago to uh, go to the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. with some friends. And it's just incredible. I mean, they have room after room where it's like, they show you the kind of desks that people would sit in, the kind of quills that they were using to just letter by letter, line by line. If they make a mistake, they start over. A whole wall of scrolls from all over the world for centuries where people are carefully copying this down so that we can remember God's faithfulness. And one of the coolest things there is that they actually have a functioning recreation of a Gutenberg press. And so they're typesetting every letter, every line, takes hours just to set up one page, and then they can actually run the press 
to print a page in the same kind of ink. They hang it up on like a clothesline to dry for several more hours. And how people did that for centuries to make sure that we had God's promises. This one was actually printed at the Bible Museum. And supposedly they're not really supposed to give these out because they take so long to produce. They couldn't give one to everybody. But I happened to be with a friend who was bold enough to ask and they gave us a copy. And it just strikes me how critically important it is that we remember God's faithfulness and that we help one another do that. that. That's why I love that at Horizon, we're so committed to verse by verse, chapter by chapter, understanding God's word. So you and I don't miss 1 Samuel 25. Because when we do this, when we're willing to disregard the foolishness, when we can forgive the trespass, when we remember God's faithfulness, that gives us the chance to trade anger and grief for peace. So Abigail has finished speaking, and now listen to David respond. Then David said to Abigail, blessed is the Lord God of Israel. All right, so now David's talking about the Lord too. He realizes that Abigail was a gift, that God has spoken in this moment. So he's just, he's just blessing everything. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought to him and said to her, go up in peace. Shalom to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. You notice that Abigail came with respect and asked David to listen. David listened and respected her. Isn't that a beautiful dynamic? I mean, that, that's exactly what I hope happens when tensions rise in a conversation with me and, and anybody else. And you've got to understand that this is not like justification for David flying off the handle, right? So you can't take this passage and like, I couldn't use this against my wife in a conversation, right? Like, yeah, well, maybe you should be more like Abigail and respect me, right? And she shouldn't throw it back at me either. Yeah, well, you should be more like David and listen to me, The idea is both of them were willing to humble themselves, listen to the other person, respect the other person, hear the other person out. And that changes everything. I was actually talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. My friend Colin and I have have talked about anger a lot because uh, he and I have been in a study group together. You know, he's heard me talk about this and and figuring out what to do with, with my anger has been a major thing in my life. Like I know there was times where I was just completely blind to it, times where I was making excuses for it, and partly because I know why I'm angry. I'm justified because, but the response wasn't right. And so Colin actually came to talk to me because he's felt like he's got that same thing. And if I've learned something from God, could I share that? And so we've had a few conversations over the last couple of months and just, you know, sitting out under the tent and walking around the pond and just sharing some scripture, talking through 1 Samuel 25 a little bit. What does that, what does that teach us? What does that show us? Because he had a moment with some friends, you know, the, his friends are there, his wives are there, another guy from our study group. 
where there was a sharp disagreement and he got really angry. And other people in the situation thought, like, is this about to get physical? <laughs> and afterwards he's like, no, of, of course not. Like, why would people, like, what am I not seeing that other people thought they were seeing? And what I loved about it was that he had this kind of humility from David. That instead of barking back, justifying himself and saying, I know I'm right. When he came to talk to me, his question was, can you help me see what I might not be seeing? Can you help me learn to listen? Because maybe there's some way that I'm off track and, and I need to humble myself. You know, and what I loved about that is that a few years ago when I first met Colin, he wasn't even a Christ follower. You know, he was digging in, he was asking questions, but he just wasn't sure. But I guess in the last year, year and a half or so, he made that decision that he trusts Christ for his forgiveness. He wants to follow Christ as his king. And so now he's looking around his life and, and with the burden removed, because he's forgiven, he can bring that into the light and say, okay, God, what about this part? Help me here. Teach me here. And so I've just enjoyed those conversations with Colin. And I tell you what, I think we need people like that. I think I need Colin. I think Colin needs me. I think we need the guys that are in our study group. Just like David needed Abigail, we need people who can step in, who can be around us, who can see what we're not seeing. And maybe sometimes they're the first person who says, hey, have you let the Lord talk to you about this at all? That's actually why we do study groups at Horizon. That's why you hear us talk so much about how not only do we want you to connect to God, have a relationship with him, but to connect to other people. (laughs) Because Colin and I actually met at a study group. In fact, I got to show you this. Because Colin and I met at Authentic Manhood. That was really the first place that we'd spent time talking together really at, at a deeper level. Maybe I'd bumped into him in the hallway here or there. But we're launching Authentic Manhood again in a couple weeks. So you can get all the details online, but Sunday nights, starting September 13th, Monday mornings, starting September 14th. And same thing, both times, just whichever one's more convenient. Uh, we're going to have a, a live version right here at Horizon. There's going to be an online version too. But what I love about this is this is a place to sit down with other guys and say, who is God? What is he like? And how might he speak into situations just like this to help me understand how to be more Christ-like? And really, as someone who loves the equipping service, I'd encourage you, we really build this in a way that it can be a connecting environment, that, that maybe the guy who's not convinced about God, Jesus, or the Bible, maybe the guy who's not ready to come on a weekend or could find something really valuable here. You know, like this time our topic is a man and his marriage. Whether you could get married someday, you're married right now, you were married, but might be again. Like there's a ton of valuable stuff here. So you might actually think maybe less about, is this for you? And more about, is there a friend of yours that this might just be a a nice toe in the water of beginning to understand God's wisdom that you could actually invite them to authentic manhood with you? I know that's part of what I've just loved in the relationship with Colin is having that kind of friendship where you can dig in that way. You know, that we have those kind of people around us. That it's good, it's, it's great to be able to watch this stuff online, but you've got to stay connected to other people too. And so that's a big part of the success for David in this passage because essentially in this chapter, there's like a prologue and we've just seen the climax. Like this was the moment. All the action comes together and David finds victory. He finds self-control, 
and he decides he's going to let the Lord do his work. And so the rest of the chapter actually kind of ends up almost like a prologue to this. It says that now Abigail went to Nabal. This is just kind of how it all ends up. And there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So I think Abigail is actually still trying to help Nabal. I think she believes that there is still room for forgiveness for him. There's still room to try to correct this mistake. So she's going to wait until morning when he can actually hear her. He can actually listen. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. A lot of scholars think that it was probably the shock of hearing what she gave away that gave him a heart attack. Then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. See, that's exactly what Ryan shared with us last week, that vengeance is the Lord's. And you and I know, I mean, we see it all over the Bible, that forgiveness was still available for Nabal. But when he rejected that, when we see injustice in our world, we can trust a God who cares about it actually even more than we do and who will deal with injustice in the proper time, in his wisdom, in his goodness, and in his love. And David celebrates God for that. It goes on to say, And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. I mean, she's single now, I guess. (laughs) When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Now on the surface, that feels like, couldn't that be like an an awesome fairy tale ending for these two? But there's a little bit more here. There's, There's something a little bit strange going on because the last two verses say that David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel. And so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Now, even in this moment, it, it almost seems like this works out because if Saul gave Michal to another man, she was David's wife, but now she's with another husband. It, maybe David is released and, well, Abigail's husband is dead, but even in the midst of it, he also takes another wife. And, and we see, if you read through David's story, he actually ends up with multiple wives, multiple concubines, and disasters that come from it. And so why is this footnote here at the end of this story? I think to me, it highlights that even in a moment of success where David humbled himself and listened to the Lord, there's a pitfall in his life that he isn't submitting to the Lord, the place that he isn't listening. Because God actually told the people that your kings should not multiply wives. David should know this, and yet he falls into this trap. And part of what that tells me, part of what that says to me, is that when I read 1 Samuel 25, ultimately my goal is not to to be just like David when I grow up. 
right? Nabal needed forgiveness and refused it. David actually still needs a forgiver too. David is a man after God's own heart, but he is still a man who makes mistakes too. And so I want to show you the key verse again. Because I think with all of this in mind, the key verse actually opens up something else that goes far deeper than anything we've said so far. Remember, Abigail fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. You know, the name Abigail actually means joy of the Father. So just just hear this. The one who is the joy of the Father was willing to take iniquity on themselves so that others could find forgiveness. I told you this was subtly Christ-like. I think it might be uh, obviously Christ-like when we begin to look at it this way, that Abigail demonstrates exactly what Christ did for us. You see, it is Jesus, the joy of the Father. It is Jesus who takes our iniquity on himself. Jesus who disregards our foolishness, who forgives our trespass, Jesus who is himself the faithfulness of God in the past and his promise for the future so that you and I can exchange the anger and wrath of God for peace with God. Everything here points to Jesus. No wonder Abigail was the one that brought the Lord into it. You know, that day when I came back up from the basement after listening to that message on 1 Samuel 25, it struck me, didn't that lady at the Bible Museum say that, that this is 1 Samuel 25 on this page? But I didn't want to tell you guys that without checking it out because I don't actually read Latin and, and this is in Latin. So I, I got on the computer, I pulled up the Latin, I compared it line by line, verse by verse. And I got to tell you this, originally I was scheduled to teach all of 1 Samuel 25 and then as we were reworking the calendar a little bit, Chad assigned me the second half, 1 Samuel 25, 23 to 44. The sheet that I am holding is 1 Samuel 25, 23 to 44 in the first verse of chapter 26. Why do I tell you that? Because God gave me this page months before I ever heard that message, months before I ever spoke to Colin, which was months before I ever shared this with you today. I, I share that with you because I think that God is speaking in my ear. I think that God is speaking in Colin's ear. And I think if you listen the Lord might be speaking in your ear too. And it's not always a thunderbolt. It's, I've never seen writing on the wall. It's, it's not always accompanied by a miracle. But if we're listening, I think the Lord is speaking. And so for me, the, the, the key takeaway from this today is that when things get tense, speak like Abigail, listen like David, 
because of Jesus. Can I pray for you that way? God, what can I say except thank you? Thank you that you speak to us through your word. Thank you that you are so faithful. Jesus, thank you for taking the iniquity on yourself. Thank you that you forgive our trespass and disregard our foolishness. Thank you that you are faithful, past, present, and future. And that you give us peace. We need it, Jesus. You know, we look at the world around us. We see injustice. I know even this week we see more shootings, more confusion, more COVID. God, we need it. Would you give us as your people the ability to be different, to stand out like an Abigail, to in these moments of tension, of crisis, of injustice, of fear and of anger, would you help us to be the ones who are Christ-like, who are respectful, who listen, who speak gently? Because Jesus, that's what you did for us. So I give you thanks in your name. Amen.